We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 93. It is the Tuesday morning after Labor Day weekend. Everybody in America is probably feeling like crap. Scott, I'm hearing your voice as we're talking this morning. It's pretty early in the morning. I know you were busy last night, so you probably are feeling it too. I think I'm leading the charge on, on people that feel like crap the day after Labor Day. I've been driving for like a week straight up and down the East Coast going to various places and weddings and hall of fames and such and ended it last night with a Springsteen concert and it was a late night. He played for over three and a half hours, which, you know, everybody's been talking about the, um, a couple of the shows last week where he played for four hours. So the dude was unbelievable. He is the ageless wonder. I think he's 66 or 67 years old, still puts on probably in my opinion, the, the best show uh, out there and uh, yeah, so gaming up 645 well, in the morning after a Springsteen show I mean the man's in his late 60s and he's performing for three to four hours When do we have to start asking the PED question about Springsteen? <laughs> hey, that's fine. That's fine. He can the, the dude can uh, can do whatever he's got to do But he's he's unbelievable. It's really it's really crazy. What what this what this guy can do at uh, at his age and uh, And the band is just so good still. I mean all these guys are up there just jamming like they always happen. So yeah, you draft you drafted our fantasy football league, our website fantasy league from the sh- 
from the show last night. So a Springsteen show plus a fantasy football draft. You had the most basic bro night of all nights. I mean, that is some multitasking. I was literally sitting, you know, I was I got lawn seats and we were we were probably second row in the lawn. And I'm sitting there, I get a, I asked Justin if he could text message me if, when we were going to start, just so I remembered because I knew I was going to forget. And uh and then yeah, I started drafting from from the app. I'm glad Yahoo finally has or has an app for the the draft. So that was that was interesting. I have no idea who's on my team. I don't remember at all. But uh and I think I fell out after like the first five or six rounds, so well, you're still probably going to finish ahead of me because I always seem to finish near the basement. But uh, yeah, it was a good weekend. Um, I am not hungover from a concert. I am just hungover from uh, sunburn and, and drinking too much. So I think that's what most people will feel like. And now the hurricane has hit the East Coast and it is rainy and cold here. So we are officially into fall as we move past uh, the summer. want to mention number 93. I found, I searched high and low. By that I mean for two seconds I did some math and figured out that 93 years ago, April 18th, 1923, the original Yankee Stadium opened, and I found a pretty weird quote on Wikipedia, and you always got to question whether or not Wikipedia is legit or not, but according to the New York Evening Telegram, a quote from the opening of Yankee Stadium, everything smelled like fresh paint, fresh plaster, and fresh grass. You gotta love the fresh plaster smell. <laughs> Very descriptive, because it wasn't even TV back then. People were just listening on radio, so they needed to get their telegrams in the morning, so they know how it was like in the Bronx in 1923, and they missed that fresh plaster smell. You know, everyone loves that plaster. You gotta wonder how you're getting the fresh plaster smell and the fresh paint smell, because usually you gotta wait for the plaster to dry, and then you put the fresh paint on. No, nah, so, it was just uh, asbestos and everything back then. Yeah, it was, it was just... <laughs> slapped everything together and hope it stayed together. That's a that's a good quote. It was uh, it was oh so I was actually in Cooperstown over the over the week, what, what day like Thursday, and it was awesome. That was the first time I ever been there. Have you ever been to Cooperstown? I did. I went with my my family. I want to say I was like maybe thirteen or fourteen. So I was supposed to go with my family when I was 13 or 14 or maybe even younger than that. And apparently I was just a complete asshole and I got sent for, to my father's house for the weekend. <laughs> because and I everyone was, went without you? And everybody went without me, yeah. I, I blew it. <laughs> I don't remember why or how, but my mom was like... And I was the only one that really would, would want to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame of, of my siblings and, and my, my mother. Nobody else cares about baseball as much as I do. And uh, yeah, so that was... So I finally got there you know, however many years later. And it was a lot of fun. It was a, it's a really cool place. First of all, it's a, it's a really cool little town. That lake out there is amazing. Um, and, and yeah, there was some, the, the, uh, they have a whole Babe Ruth section. I don't know when they put that in. If it's, um, I assume it's been there for quite some time, but there's some really cool stuff. You could see all the bats. I think one of the biggest thing I, I took away was, was the size of the bats that they were using uh, in the Babe Ruth, the one that Babe Ruth was using, and then another one that Jackie Robinson was using. Holy crap! I mean, this thing is like a like a piece of just it's it's a piece of lumber that you use that you you burn in the fireplace. I mean, it's it's massive. The um, the hand strength for these guys had to have been ridiculous to. Uh, well, to that's swing how they got bats. their workouts in because they weren't doing strength conditioning like guys are now. They just yeah. swung twelve pound bats. 
Yeah, and they're they're massive. I don't I have no idea how you get bat speed with something like that. But I guess you just have to be a, a physical specimen, just a massive human being. I remember so. stories from the '90s how O'Neill used the heaviest bat on the team, and he was swinging a replica Babe Ruth bat in batting practice, and even he said he could not get that thing around on a fastball. No, and it's so it's just like the handle is so thick. This guy has to have, you know, just massive hands even to just grip it. But and Barry Bonds was using a, a light bat. I mean, he went the opposite way and was just going for bat speed and uh, would whip that thing around like a toothpick. But yeah, it was really cool. Just seeing the old Yankee uniforms, too. I mean, I don't think they were it didn't look like they were faded, but some of the early uniforms in the 20s, the, the pinstripes were actually closer to like a denim color. They were lighter blue and it didn't look like it was a fading light blue. So I don't know how. You know how accurate the coloring is, but it looked like it was. That's what it was. Well, so, once Costanza implemented the cotton jerseys, that's when the pinstripes got darker. But do the, but does they stay dark now that they're cotton? I would assume they would fade. But yeah, so I was. Uh, that was cool to see that, and then just some of the old uniforms and the and the old jackets, and um, just how heavy this stuff was. So not only were they swinging like twelve pound bats, like you were saying, but they were wearing like flannel. <laughs> you know, going out there every day to play ball. So. It was like a lot of fun. Back. I would like to go back now. I feel like I'd appreciate it a little bit more than yeah. when I went, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14. I, I liked it. I had fun. But we went for like three straight days or, or two straight days, and I just I kind of got tired of it. Like any kid would get tired of a museum, sure. even if it is about baseball. Yeah, um, I wish I even had some more time in there just because, there, I mean, there were a lot of – they have the, the dream fields or whatever they're called out there now, so they have a lot of tournaments. So there were tons of teams there going through, and I was like – you know, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't really uh, take it. Take it all into as long as I wanted to. But it was cool. Yeah, and I saw you tweeted uh, or posted on Instagram a few a few pictures. I believe one was of uh, Derek Jeter, um, or maybe not. I you know, <laughs> no, no, that wasn't it. But but it was the the '96 World Series trophy that was there. That was one. And then what was the other one that you posted? The other one was the document that was the document, actual yeah. the the the, uh, the document for the transfer of Babe Ruth from the Red Sox to the Yankees. Yeah. See, this all happened. I was kind of in a in a sunburned haze, and I, uh, I don't really recall what I was looking at. Yeah. No. It was it was pretty cool. That I didn't know that that document was was still around. So it was pretty neat to see that. And just even. For, you know, back in the day, just kind of putting your head back to when they were playing and trying to imagine what it was like. I mean, they were literally when when Ruth was, um, you know, he was uh, going in for, for reinstatement at some point. I mean, he had to send a telegram. You know what I mean? Like, like there's telegram trails. Yeah. Of, of the fresh paint and the fresh plaster and the fresh yeah. grass. It's great. And not to, to cap it off, I found the most amazing thing ever in an antique store in Albany, because that's how I roll. I go to antique stores and I'm, I look for just, especially when I'm like upstate, I, I go in looking for Yankee stuff, uh, just as old stuff. And I found a 100% nylon, 1979, uh, 1980. We couldn't place the exact date, but it was late 70s, early 80s uh, Yankee jacket, Yankee starter jacket that was made in Westchester, or uh, in, uh, in Connecticut. So, so I was pumped up for that. You sent me the picture of that, and it it looked like I thought it was the '90s jacket that Tori used to wear. So it, I don't really think they changed much from the late '70s to the '90s. They had they did not change much, and I thought it was I thought it was mid to late '80s. That was my guess. And then when I was talking with the dude, apparently it was the the jacket of a sportscaster in Albany. Uh, it was his Yankee jacket, and he had passed, and his wife had put some of their. Uh, you know, some of the estate stuff in this antique place. So, does it fit you? 
It's, it fits perfectly. It's amazing. It's like this, the, the most perfect jacket ever. It's in mint condition. I'm so excited to wear it. Maybe I'm that sportscaster wear. was Bizarro Scott. Maybe. Could have been. Could have been me in a former life. I don't know. I got to do some more. Re- I got to research this guy to see who he was uh, and see what his deal was. But um, yeah, so I'll have more information on the on the broadcaster and who he was if, the, if, if there's anything to note. But yeah, it was cool. So really good week. Um, really good week. Lots of traveling and and trying to keep up with uh, with this pennant race. Yes. So I was thinking about it a month ago, roughly right after the Yankees sold at the trade deadline. If you were to tell me that they would have been still in the playoff hunt after Labor Day weekend, I would have laughed and pointed in your face. But, but I you, did tell you that. That's exactly no, what you I was did not, telling you. you. Said, you did not say that. I'm not I said that they would still be in the hunt. No, you said that they would start to play better once the veterans were off the team and the young kids got a shot, which I agreed with. I just thought they were way too far out of it with, I think at that point there were seven teams ahead of them or tied. Yeah. It's just way too many variables to jump over. No, it's true. There, there, but, were, there was too many people in front of them. That was the big thing. A lot of those teams have fallen off. Some have, have remained in them. Here we are, Tuesday morning after Labor Day. The Yankees are three and a half back of the second wild card spot with Houston, Detroit, and Baltimore ahead of them. But they are only two back in the loss column. So that means they have you know that extra game in hand on Baltimore. <clears throat> and then a game ahead of the, of the Orioles is the Red Sox, and then Toronto's in first place. So essentially what they have is... Two teams, Houston and Detroit, who they're no longer playing. And then they have teams ahead of them who, for the remainder of the season, they pretty much only play within their division. 24 of 27 games for the rest of the season are within their division. The Dodgers are the only team that is not in their division. So if they're going to catch these teams, Baltimore, Boston, and Toronto, they actually have a shot at it because of this September schedule. And at the very least, whether they make the playoffs or not, it's going to be an exciting month of September, which I thought all we were going to have to look forward to was Aaron Judge at bats and Gary Sanchez at bats. But we actually have some meaningful baseball games, which, which is pretty make, amazing. And it makes it even better for the Judge, Sanchez, you know, Austin at bats because now they mean a lot. And this is extremely valuable experience. So to get these guys into in the thick of something rather than having, you know, just meaningless games at the end of the season just to get that experience. So, yeah, and, and the, I love the way that the, the schedule now sets up so that, you know, all of the division games or practically all the division games are the last month of the season. And it's and that's the way it should be. You know, you should play those guys for the division uh, at the end of the day and, and make it, you know, basically team on team in, inside the division um, rather than it's, it's just weird having a uh, an NL West game in the middle of it, too. It's a little strange. It uh, it reminds me of the football schedule now, how the last two, three weeks of the season are always in division games. Yeah, and it's, and and it's perfect. And they're usually good games. Um, exactly. It should be that way. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's awesome. You play so. So, many, so many games. It is a little weird to go. I believe they went pretty much the whole month of June without really an AL East opponent, which is kind of odd. But uh, they were not playing their best baseball then, and they seem to be playing their best baseball now. So it works out in their favor. Um, and every time it seems like the Yankees are going to fall off. I mean, they get shut out for 18 innings in Baltimore in those first two games. And you think maybe this is the final nail in the coffin. They salvaged the the third game against Baltimore and they beat Toronto in that first game. So every time they, they seem to be dead in the water, they suck me back in. Yeah, and how about that pitching performance from Baltimore, the pit, the first uh, the first two, yeah. just coming out there. I mean, what are the odds? The pitching you remember was last week I, I was yes, talking I know. about how garbage 
how much how much well bundy was the one guy that we said that you know bundy was the one guy that said that you know he if he's pitching well he could beat us and then i feel like gossman and cc have pitched against each other every single time they've pitched it seems like they've gone against each other like five times this year but every time cc pitches a good game and then gossman comes out and just you know, just mows over the Yankees lineup. I don't, I don't know what it that guy's. It happened. Well, they had the same pitching matchup a week earlier at Yankee yeah. Stadium. Um, and I, and do I think remember, even earlier in the season, I yeah, think he I don't was remember who match- the matchup was for CC, but I remember him pitching very well in Baltimore. It was one of the first good starts of the season for CC. Yeah. And uh, Yankees scored nothing for him, which, which was kind of a trend in the first half of the season. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about Gosman, it was the same. It was the same deal for him. I think he had. He had some ridiculous ERA, but the the team would score under two runs for him every single time he was out. So, and even even on uh, what was that Saturday, it was a you know a two run game. So yeah, two nothing. It was it was, uh, it was pretty much pretty much a pitcher's duel. Yeah, Chad Green getting injured to to start the series off kind of I think really hamstrung the Yankees. Um, it, the injury for Chad Green, he left the mound early against Baltimore, sprained UCL and strained flexor tendon. Which kind of remind me of the Nathan Avaldi injury, just not as severe. Avaldi had the partial UCL tear and the torn flexor tendon that came clean off the bone, which I always thought was a little graphic, but uh, that was that was the injury. It, what worries me about this Chad Green injury is that it, they're going to try and rehab it. Isn't that kind of what happened with Avaldi last season? And then fast forward uh, 11, 12 months and he needs Tommy John surgery. So is that what we have on our hands with Chad Green? I mean, it's impossible to tell just because everybody's body reacts differently. I mean, look at Tanaka went back, didn't go for the surgery. And I mean, he's pitching now the best he's pitched all year. So it's just I think it's impossible to tell. I think each each body individually, uh, you know, heals and reacts differently. So hopefully the doctors looked and said this is the best way to go. Uh, the fact that he doesn't need surgery is a positive thing, in my opinion, because he's not going to you know, he won't miss a, a year and and, um, you know, we'll, he'll be back. In a, in a decent amount of time and have an opportunity to uh, to, to vie for one of those starting rotation starting spots in the rotation next year. It's just it's a more horrible timing on injury. And what is with all these pitchers going down with the elbow injuries? It it just it, I'm telling I you, man. We this talked is, about didn't we talk about this at yes. the beginning of the season? It's no, insane. it was last week we started talking about it. Even we were we were talk, I was talking. I went on my little little league rant or two weeks ago on my little league rant just because these kids are throwing so many pitches and they're specializing so early and they're playing year round as kids that their arms are just going now when they get into their you know late teens and early twenties. It's crazy and it's and it's going to get worse. Well, for for Chad Green, it's 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 certainly bad news because he needed to perform well the rest of the season. I mean, he's he's performing for his job. Um, I don't know if this – they're not going to hold it against him that he got injured, but it's just a setback for him. And now he needs to prove himself in spring training, and he's going to be fighting with Severino, probably Brian Mitchell, Luis Sessa, and maybe anyone else from the from the lower levels of the minors or anyone else they bring in in the offseason for those starting rotation jobs. Um, the, and there's probably – there's two cle- clear spots open next year in the rotation, maybe more. Right. We never know what's going to happen. I mean – CC's on his last leg. Uh, we've gotten more out of CC than I think anyone expected at the beginning of the season, and he's got one more year in his contract. But you, you never know how his body's going to react next season. He, he's certainly got a lot of miles on him. But as far as this season goes, Wednesday's starter still to be determined. I want it to be Severino. I, I, I'm still maybe I'm foolish. Maybe all he is is a bullpen guy. But I am still holding out hope he can crack it in the starting rotation. 
They have not announced who the starter is. Um, maybe by the time people are listening to this on Tuesday morning they have. But as far as uh, 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning, there's still TBD on Wednesday. Do you want it to be Severino? Do you want it to be someone else from the minors? Um, would it concern you if they keep Severino in the bullpen? No, I, I think at this point in the season, because he hasn't gotten the feel for that changeup and he's basically a two-pitch pitcher right now, I think the best place for him to be is in the bullpen at this point. But I, I think they still see him as a starter long-term. And I think in the offseason, I mean, his biggest job is going to be to control that changeup. I mean, if he can get that changeup down and get that feel for that changeup, then he's a different type of pitcher because then he's got that third pitch, you know, when when the guys start coming second, uh, third time around in the lineup. But, I mean, but the it's problem crazy with Severino, when you look... The problem with Severino in the starting rotation, sorry to interrupt you, was not the second or third time around this year. He doesn't even make it to the second or third time around. It's yeah. almost like the first time around as a starter... He's getting crushed. But he he comes in out of the bullpen facing guys for the first time, and he's actually been lights out. One Rich hit Rich, over some ridiculous... Yeah, Rich tweeted this stat. He's allowed one hit in 40 at-bats yeah, out of the bullpen. Stupid. So I don't understand how he can come in for one, two, maybe even three innings out of the bullpen, which he did against uh, the Mets a few weeks ago, and be dominant. But he goes out in there in the first inning as a starting pitcher, and he immediately gets shelled. I just don't understand it. Yeah, and I don't think he's going to be throwing tomorrow, right? Because didn't he get six outs over the weekend or, or yesterday? Um, it, was, it was five or six outs, I thought. So Sunday. It was yeah, okay. So it sounds like so he could pitch on Wednesday. That could be his throw day. Maybe. I I, I think it's going to be. Uh, I could see Brian Mitchell. Uh, Girardi also went out there and said it could be a bullpen day. So who knows? Well, I don't. Brian Mitchell's. Did they even? They didn't even call it Brian Mitchell. I mean, uh, they he could. Was, yeah, he was already there. Was he? he was already yeah he was already there. All right, well I'm, I'm losing track of the roster when September call-ups rosters expand. It's it all gets jumbled in my brain. But uh, yeah, I guess it, it could be a bullpen day. It could be maybe Brian Mitchell gets three innings and then Severino gets three innings. I mean, if they want to call that a bullpen day, but I, I just I'm not giving up hope on Severino. And I feel like as, the more he succeeds in the bullpen, the more they're just going to be resigned to the fact that he is a bullpen guy. Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, the thing is, is that the, the, what's crazy to me is that we saw the success at the end of last year, and going into the season, I mean, he was when really you a, good, really, really good as a starting was, pitcher last year. Yes, he was so and, good. In fact, that we had the conversation, maybe he should start the uh, wild card game. Yeah, I think that was more pure excitement of just seeing young kids coming up. But no, it was it was legitimate at that point because um, for sure we thought he was probably the number two starter, right? I mean, this was the guy that that pitched very well and came back from some bad starts, but but pitched very well after after some some. Uh, I remember I started up in Toronto last year at the end of the year. He came out and just pitched pitched great. So it's it is weird to see the fact that he can pitch so well last year, and I understand that there wasn't as much of a book on him, but. And then struggle now, you know, going in, uh, going in the starting rotation and be dominant in the bullpen. It's it's strange. Hopefully, it's a little bit between the ears, and he can uh, he could screw it back on. He's still walking a lot of guys. He walked two guys in that relief appearance against Baltimore, and he came in in a jam in the fifth inning. Came in, in uh, to relieve Pineda, who left a mess for him. Right. Which also, let's quickly touch on Pineda. Uh, horrible start last week in Kansas City where he gave up three runs immediately in the first inning, boosted his ERA in the first inning to 7.33, somehow then retired 15 batters in a row, looked like that Michael Pineda when he struck out 16 Oriole hitters, and then that last inning, Joe sends him back out there, tries to squeeze one more inning out of him, and he gives up two more runs. So so if if that horrible start of a uh, horrible mess of a game on 
last Monday in Kansas City weren't enough. He can't even get through the fifth inning against Baltimore at Camden Yards over the weekend. And Girardi took him out. The Yankees were leading, and he took him out before he could even get a win. I think that just goes to show you how little Girardi trusts Michael Pineda. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. Nobody is going to blame Joe for coming and yanking him in the fourth in or the fifth inning, to uh, because he's so he the next blow up is you know a pitch away, two pitches away. The fact that this guy it goes from zero to horrible so fast that you you do have to control the damage with uh, with with him. So I, I got I got no problems with Girardi going out there with that quick hook for uh, for Pedina, especially in that game because it was absolutely must win. Yeah, I just don't understand how he can retire 15 batters in a row. Looks so good. Um, it, it just lends credence to the fact that we are saying it's mental. And I, it's not physical because he has the ability. He has the, the stuff. He has the quote-unquote stuff, which I'm really growing to hate hearing people talk about his stuff or Nathan Avaldi's stuff. It's the most it, annoying thing. It's because, starting to get annoying for me, too. Because actually. unless you can translate that into outs... Who gives a crap if you could throw 98 miles an hour or if you have a nasty splitter or a nasty slider? If it's not getting people out, if not getting people out, to me, that's not very good stuff. Well, I think when people are talking about stuff, it's 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 the first thing that you see. And that's that's the reason they're saying that is because, well, when you look at the guy, he's got it, but he just can't put it together. So I think that makes it even more of an anomaly because you're looking at, you see that he can do these things. You see that it, that it looks nasty when it's coming out of his hand and, and it's coming hard and he's got a lot of bite and he's still getting all those swings and misses. But for some reason, he goes mental when there's two strikes, leaves a, a slider, a fat slider over the plate. And it seems to me now that that batters are just waiting for him to make that mistake and they're pouncing on it. And he makes it every time almost. Yeah, it's like the guy who can hit 500-foot home runs in batting practice but then can't hit a curveball. Are you talking about Tim Tebow? <laughs> no, I, uh, I was actually talking about Aaron Judge. Oh, yeah, that him too. Damn, man. <laughs> uh, He's been struggling. He's been yeah. struggling. Rookies, uh, after Sanchez was the uh, best player in baseball for, for three weeks, he has gone into a bit of a slump. Five for 27 this past week with one extra base hit. I want to cut him some slack because he was so damn good. He carried the team on his back for almost three weeks. Um, and he's still really contributing behind the plate. He threw out another runner yesterday. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that he's just going through some growing pains in the in the sense that pitchers are not throwing him fastballs at all anymore. He right. sees maybe one fastball in that bat, and it's either right under his hands or it's it's not even close to the to the outside corner that he can't he can't hit it. Um, I thought there was one pitch over the weekend. It was a three-one count. It was kind of like a slider on the inner half of the plate. I, I, I believe I forget who who was who he was facing. It was definitely a mislocation, and, and Sanchez just seemed a little locked up on it. I, I know you're not expecting a slider on the middle of the plate, but he's almost in the in the territory now where he can't miss. He can't let mistakes go by because he he's now got a reputation where pitchers are going to be careful with him. If they make a mistake, he needs to capitalize on it. Um, Girardi's kept him in the three-hole. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think he he was he, he carried you for that long. I think you kind of keep riding him as long as you can. But yeah, the they, one extra base hit in the last week of games is kind of uh, not. It, it's just it's so opposite it, of what we saw. For, for it's so not long. what you want. It's not it's what you not, want. God, it's not what you want. They they actually had to slow down the construction of the exhibit 
for Gary Sanchez next to the Babe Ruth exhibit. Okay, so did this, when they were, there's just yellow tape around it now. There was yellow tape, yeah, with a couple jerseys in there, but uh, <laughs> it was getting slower. They were uh, they were stop the stopping the construction. But yeah, it's you know, I mean, what do you expect? Obviously, it's baseball. It comes back to it, you, you come back to earth. I mean, baseball will humble you at so some give point. So give it give it to me. You know what you know what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's baseball, Susan. It, it humbles you. It will come back. You look at the stats. The stats will always you know, show up at the end of the day what, what your baseball card says usually at the end of the season. So this is a guy that's not going to hit 400. He's not going to hit a home run every three games. or He was even on a bigger pace than that. Um, I think the bigger thing looking at the, the, the rookies uh, and, and who's doing what is seeing how Judge has been struggling like you were talking about. He can hit. He can hit monster home runs. He can hit a fastball. But he's really, really struggling with the off-speed stuff. And I mean, I'm looking on Twitter, the Twitter feed, and people are kind of driving me nuts yeah. about how you know they're they're mentioning at Bronx Pinstripes when we're talking just during the games. And I'm getting so many of these things like send him down, get rid of <laughs> Judge, he's a bum. Like, come on, really? Like, this is exactly what we expected. We you you cannot set a bar with a guy like Sanchez and and expect your your rookies to do that. And I know Judge and Austin came out of the gate with with home runs, and both of those guys have struggled. Austin had a really nice day yesterday. And, and Judge has tremendously struggled. But if you go back and you look at when, when Aaron Judge made the jump, each level, he struggled mightily, especially in AAA. He was, he was down for a long time, and then he got used to it, made his adjustments, and really started coming out of the gate and, and, and playing well. So, And you listen to the kid, listen to the interviews, listen to people talking to him about the slow start and, and if it's gotten to him. And he's giving you the right answer. He's saying, you know, it's part of the process. He understands that this struggle is part of his process because it's happened every single time he's made a jump. <clears throat> he's not stressing about it. He's just going to keep going with the process, keep working hard. And he's confident that he's going to get it. And I, I think, uh, you know, I think that's the case. I think he's going to eventually get it. 35 strikeouts in 65 at-bats at the major league level. Pretty much one out of every two times. One, He's, he's striking out 50% of the time which is insanely high. It's higher yes. than anybody really in, in baseball history. Even Adam Dunn, go down the list of Mark Reynolds. Any of the big strikeout guys don't even strike out that much. At the major, As you said, when he went to AAA, he struck out a bunch. Last year in AAA, he struck out, I believe, in the mid to high 30%. This year, it was down mm -hmm. in the low 20%. So he definitely made the adjustment in his second year. I think if he can stay in that high 20%, even 30% at the major league level, with his power, I think he's still a valuable player. He does need to make the adjustments, though. He had two hits last week. One of them was the two-run home run in Kansas City. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but Joe Girardi sat him in the next game. Yes, because, I did notice that. Because why let the rookie go out there and try and uh, gain some confidence? You know, he just hit a big two-run home run. Maybe let's see him if he can go out there and do it again. Nope, going to put in Aaron Hicks, who did get injured that game. So I guess it's not all that bad. Hey, what? your boy Hicksy was playing well. Yeah, he's bad. He's been lighting it up. 240. 240. Lighting it up. Judge, though, you're you're absolutely right. He does need to make the adjustments. He he does not seem discouraged, which is good. Yes, you were absolutely right. The people on Twitter who were are complaining about all these strikeouts. I this came with the territory. We yeah, we knew this was happening. Yeah, how much he was going to struggle probably with the curveball and the changeup and the sliders, and he was going to strike out a lot. But it's growing pains that we are totally okay with him going through this year because he is the future, not the he's the present, but he's he. We need him for the future. Who cares if he struggles in this September? Yes, I know we want to win ball games, but it's more important that he's ready for 2017. 
everyone who's saying that get this bum out of the lineup, it, I, I, it's I ridiculous. hope they're saying it's... it. I hope they're saying it jokingly. But no, I know it's not joking. Some people who were talking serious. to me. There's some people talking to me on Twitter who were serious about it. And I'm like, listen, I'm not I'm not okay with him striking out 50% of the time, but I'm also not going to take him out of the lineup because of it. I want to see him get better on the field. He's not going to get better riding the bench. I think there's there's some confusion with with what's happening right now with some Yankee fans. And some Yankee fans, all they see is that we're three and a half out. Well, the fact that they're three and a half out is a freaking miracle. And and two, we're, the Yankees are playing with house money right now, and that's what's happening. They're they're in this position because of the kids. They're in this position because the kids came up, played really well. Everybody else elevated their game at some and and decided they were going to play their best baseball in in uh, you know late August into September. And the fact that they're three and a half games out, and the kids are still playing, and he's striking out a lot. It's just it's just what's going to happen, and. We're going to ride or basically ride or die with these kids. That's yeah. what's going to happen. I mean, nothing makes sense with this team right now. They traded no. away Andrew Miller and Araldis Chapman. And then in the month of August, they had the best bullpen ERA in the American League. That, yeah, so, that, so stop trying to make sense of it and just enjoy. That doesn't watch these kids. That, I mean, that shouldn't happen. I know they brought in Warren and Clippard who are good, but they're the poor man's Araldis Chapman and Andrew Miller. Very poor man's version of those guys. And the Yankees' bullpen has stayed intact. I know the middle relief has been a little suspect, but but regardless. And then you're right. I mean, the 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 production they got out of Gary Sanchez, Castro also had a huge month. Didi's been playing very consistently. Yep. Um, I mean, a lot of things that we didn't expect to happen happened. Who knows if they're going to happen over the next 27 days or the next next 27 games? But but regardless, you can't really be upset with. We, we actually have a baseball season. I look forward to Yankee games every night, not only to watch the kids, but because they're still kind of in the in the playoff hunt. I did not think that was possible a month ago. So Well, and, and it's got a different feeling to it. I mean, there's a different energy now that now that there's the, the kids are up and they're playing with the veterans. And we know that these guys are not going to get regular at-bats. The, the, the old guys that have not done it, you know, that have played 500 ball every uh, for the rest of the, the majority of the year. I mean, we're, we're getting to see... The, the future of the Yankees and they're producing, they're playing well. They're at different times. I mean, you see a, a guy like, like, um, like Tyler Austin on Sunday, come back and play really well. He had a, he had a big game. He needed it cause he was struggling and I'm expecting judge at some point to start coming out of that. And you know, people will start being very happy with him again. He made a great defensive play. Yeah. He's looking he really good in right play. field, much more, much better outfielder than I was expecting. I was expecting him to be a big lumbering dude. But well, he, they did. They did talk about his athleticism and how he's a lot quicker. You know, as far as the scouting report, but he's a lot quicker. Uh, that first step is a lot quicker than you expect by looking. I know, at but him. you don't. Expect anytime it. you see somebody six seven two seventy five, I believe right. he is the heaviest listed outfielder in baseball history. No kidding, I didn't know that. Yeah, because when the Tebow workouts were going on, um, <laughs> somebody tweeted that if Tebow were to make a major league roster, he would be the seventh heaviest outfielder listed at, I believe, like two fifty five. And Judge was number one at 275. And the 275 is is like diesel. It's like it's chiseled 275. Oh, yeah, it's not fat. There, it's not there's fat. no fat on that kid. I mean, he's just wide. He's just a, a freaking hoss. Yeah, he's a tight end. I mean, he's got the massive. Rob, Grum, Rob Gronkowski build. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And he's got to improve. I, I think he realizes that. I, I believe he was being a little bit too timid at the plate. Um, he was letting pitch, hittable pitches go. I think he didn't want to get burned on the breaking ball, so he was being very patient at the plate. I, I, I know that he's striking out a lot, but 
I don't want to see him taking fastballs for strike one. If he's getting a fastball for strike one, swing Counts. the bat. Yep. Pummel it. And then and then and then make the adjustment after that. You gotta take advantage, just like Sanchez, of any time a pitcher is gonna make a mistake over the plate. These guys have the power where it can it's not gonna be a single up the middle. It's gonna be a double in the gap or it's gonna be a four hundred foot blast. You gotta take advantage of it. Get your um, hacks in, kid. Get your hacks in. You mentioned briefly the old guys. I want to talk about Jacoby Ellsbury, who against Wade Miley on Sunday in Baltimore, when your manager Joe Girardi said it's the biggest game of our season, coincidentally, Jacoby Ellsbury is riding the pine again, just like he was riding the pine last year in the wildcard game. So that makes the most important games, according to Joe Girardi, in the last two seasons, Jacoby Ellsbury's name has not been in the starting lineup. Asked about it, Girardi said that Ellsbury is a little bit banged up. And then reporters went to Jacoby Ellsbury before Monday's game. And he said, to be honest, I'm not really sure what Joe Girardi's talking about. I feel 100%. So that dynamic continues to get interesting between Girardi and Ellsbury. Yeah, and if you look at the, the lineup card on on Sunday against Wade Miley, I mean, he just he threw in as many right-handed bats as he possibly... I think there were there were five Eight. rookies... Is that the only lefty? The only lefty in there um, was Gardner, and the rest right. were righties. Ref Snyder was batting second. Austin he, Romine DH'd <laughs> again. Uh, he's done it before. He came out, but he had two, he had a, two RBIs. Well, I like. I, I think Romine's a productive hitter. Yeah, he's been. Your boy Headley had two RBIs in that game. I mean, the right. I, he was he was throwing right-handed I, bats. I am so. no. I've decided I am no longer acknowledging Chase Headley exists. Did you do you acknowledge the two RBIs that he had on Sunday that helped win the game? Nope. I don't know who what or who you're talking about. They just magically appeared. Because Chase Headley complained and whined and got himself back in the lineup, even though Ronald He Torres, did not. It was the, people who was Ronald answering Torres questions. Had a 500 batting average over a week and a half span, yet he, he just was taken out of the lineup for no damn reason. Well, Torres was playing shortstop on Sunday. I know. Other than the fact then that Chase Headley whined and bitched and has a $13 million contract. It's in, it's infuriating. And I know Chase Headley has not been playing that badly. I'm more upset about the fact that Torres didn't do anything to warrant being taken out of the lineup, yet he was for no reason. I don't know. I think he's getting he's getting uh he's got to keep him in at some point cuz Headley is is a player that he has not been playing badly ever since no, that he's first. he's been playing mediocre. He's been mediocre since as have finally, a lot of the since players. the middle of May, he's been mediocre. As has as has every other player who has a contract. I realize that's, that that's over that doesn't you know, mean the, the minimum when, or rookie contract. When you have a better option, or what they were doing is riding the hot hand of Torres, and I was yes. let him play until he starts going zero for four. He had five hits last weekend against Baltimore, and then again in Kansas City, he wasn't in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. You got to ride the hot hand. Um, at the same time, you got to get some. Why, you got to get to a bats. Why are you riding Headley, the the lukewarm hand who's been lukewarm for three and a half months? On on Sunday, it was getting as many right-handed bats, and <laughs> Torres, I believe, bats right-handed. I know and, he was in the lineup. Yeah, I was going to say he was playing shortstop. <laughs> Your argument's not going anywhere. But Didi, but Didi bats like three thirty against lefties. If you the reason, yeah, but Didi was out because he got hit. In the, he got hit by two hit pitches, and he was a little he was a little banged up also. <laughs> but he was he was a little sore apparently. This, I was listening to the radio all week. This is this is I was listening to. I've got the Rogers in George's box. It's, it's all been stuck in my head. Uh, Susan Waldman cannot get out of my brain. No, Steinbrenner had a beauty on or Steinbrenner. Sterling had a beauty on Sunday. He uh, he called a double down the line for Rob Refsnyder. 
Yes. He had him pretty much rounding first base in the run scoring yes. and then realized it was a it was foul. foul. Yes, I know. I heard that. And he also called when when Gardner threw out, uh, I think it was Batista running to third. He goes, ball down the line, kicks off of the kicks off the fence. Girardi throws it to third. He, he called him Girardi twice. Hey, he's it's seen classic. so many I ball games. It. They probably all blend together. He might be replaying a game from 1999 in his head. Yeah, when Girardi was playing left field, it was a, that was a good game. <laughs> it was. It's. I think it's. It adds to the element of him because you you never really know what's happening on the field until it actually happens. Right. You always got to check your phone and check Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Girardi also said that um, he was asked why Ellsbury is not really stealing bases much. He has 18 stolen bases this year, but three years ago he stole in, in the 30s, and with the Red Sox he led the league in stolen bases. Girardi said that he just thinks it's getting harder for Ellsbury because he's becoming an older player. So really? Stupid. Duh. Yeah. That's what happens with guys who rely on their speed who get to be 30 years old. They yeah, can your no legs longer go. run fast. It's he like, can still run fast, though. I just still th- I think he's just being timid because of it. I still think he has the speed to to get into the 20, you know, upper 20 stolen bases. He doesn't get he's got enough. it. He just doesn't do it. And, he, and Ellsbury he doesn't said get it, on base enough, right? Ellsbury said it's because he didn't want to take the bat out of Gary Sanchez's hand. Which, right, for the last two weeks? Right. What happened in, in April, in May, in June, in July? He, he didn't want to take the bat out of A-Rod's hand. A-Rod and Teixeira, who yes. the Yankees' three, four hitters this year, before Gary Sanchez arrived, were batting like 200. Yeah, and I think Gary Sanchez might have more home runs than both of them combined. <laughs> That's not true, but it was close. It's not far off. Ellsbury had a good game Monday, though. Two hits, two, uh, three RBIs. So Yeah, and a home run. Right, home run, RBI double. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was positive. This is the t- this is the type of guy that still has the ability, and hopefully, because all these kids are taking the the pressure off, and and he's going to be the you know one of the bigger veterans in the clubhouse next year, unless you know somebody comes down, rains down on us, and 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 removes that contract and and is able to to take him. But it's not going to happen. There's no possible way. Uh, that's that's my expectation. But he's a guy that you know maybe he's. You know, he, he starts getting into a different role, gets gets more comfortable, and is able to to re, regain some of the form he had. I mean, he's still batting what? What is he batting? Like 270? He's got uh, – obviously the power numbers are not there. The stolen bases are not there. He's he's become Breck Gardner almost, I guess. Yeah. And Breck Gardner Brett is a Gardner, shell of Breck Gardner. Breck Gardner just making double his money. Yeah. Yep. Um, did the Ben Gamble trade surprise you? Yes, the guy did, won the did. International League MVP, and then a day later, he was on his way to Seattle. Well, I, I guess it didn't surprise me to the to the the fact that the Yankees are just chock full of outfielders that are similar to what Ben Ben Gamble is. So they're oh, like, right. oh, dude, dude gets a MVP. You can't possibly get higher than this. In no, I, that's that's a great point. And Let's go. Ben Gamble is buried on the depth chart as far as outfielders, despite the fact that he was a really solid player and won the International League MVP. When you look at the list of Yankees outfield prospects, Clint Frazier, Aaron Judge who's in the major leagues, uh, Blake Rutherford, the list goes on. Ben Gamble was going to – there's a lot of things that were going to have to happen if Ben Gamble wanted to get playing time for the Yankees. Um, They also had a 40-man roster situation where he's on the 40-man and they have like six or seven guys this offseason that need to be put on the 40-man. And it was kind of just a numbers game. Uh, Cashman was looking at it and said, I might as well get a little bit for Gamble while I can. He's probably not going to help us on the field next year. And now in Seattle, he actually might have a shot. 
Yeah, good for the kid. I think the biggest disappointment was that I dragged my feet for so damn long and didn't get the Flow Bro shirt out for Ben Gamble and Clint Frazier. Well, that's that's be, my biggest disappointment. You could send it to Africa for some. It's like the national championship uh, of the team that lost. You could send it with those shirts to Africa. Yeah, I mean, I just it may come back as just Flow Bro, but I don't think that's got the same punch. No. Yeah, and we're gonna miss that hair. That that helped them for about a week, if you remember, in May. They played oh, really well because of Ben Gamble's hair. Yes. So amazing. Yankees go on to amazing the gifts out there this too. year. Ben Gamble deserves a ring. Yeah, I think he does get a ring, right? How how long do you have to be on the team to get a ring? I think you need, you just have I think you need to be on the 25 man roster for a certain amount of time. Yeah. I think they make decisions too. Like the players actually make a decision on who gets rings, don't they? Cuz it's actually it doesn't really matter. It's based on the team. The team gives you. I don't know why the hell we're talking about that, but <laughs> the two pitching prospects they got back from Seattle are both very young, 19 and 20 years old, I believe. So yeah. um, lower level guys, high upside guys, um, certainly not to the, I mean, Ben Gamble's only going to get you so much in return. Um, I just hope that he doesn't go on to become a Yankees killer, which I feel like he, he fits the mold of a guy who will bat like 330 against the Yankees next year. Yeah, Nate McClue. Nate McClue. That's that's his uh, that's his ceiling. That's that's this guy's potential. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be able to have an opportunity in Seattle. I hope he does well. I do because the kid was uh, was was good. Uh, definitely in AAA and came up and was productive. And I mean, no, it's no joke hair. to win the International League MVP. That's no, it. that's a serious business. Yeah, that's 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 legit. I mean, the fact that we got you know it's it's right along what Cashman was doing. He's just getting younger and younger and younger. Got two more arms. That, that have potential. So looks like I, I looked at the first name. I thought it says Gio Orozco. It looks like Jesse Orozco. It's like the, maybe he's the uh, bizarro Jesse Orozco. <laughs> All right, one final thing. Oh, you mentioned earlier the Tim Tebow baseball workout. Uh, it sent Twitter into a frenzy for about 45 minutes. Tim Tebow is a lightning rod. For whatever reason, people care about Tim Tebow. I wrote that if he does make a minor league team, it's going to be like when Jordan rode the bus and was they were selling out double-A stadiums just because he was on the team. The same right. thing will be for Tebow. And everyone was saying, how can you compare the greatest basketball player of all time to a failed NFL quarterback? And I understand that they don't have the same achievements athletically, but for whatever reason, people care about Tim Tebow. Are you talking about compare them in the sense of like pop culture? Because pop culture, Tim Tebow, is huge. Yes, it'll be pop. just as big of a deal if he's yeah. playing single or double A than when Michael Jordan was playing double A for the White Sox. You could argue that it will be a much bigger deal because of the media now and all of the digital. Everybody's a reporter with their phones and Twitter exists. So it will actually be a bigger deal. And Tim Tebow... You know, there have been there have been rumors that he can control a lot of things like the weather and, you know, the universe. So I still don't know knows? how he won that playoff game. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's no explanation for it. He can't throw the ball. He basically he got below average or far below average in every uh, po- every grade on the scale uh, for the work for the baseball po- workout yeah, power, arm, speed, feeling. It was pretty much below average on everything. One scout gave him an 80 power grade, which is the highest you can get, which is essentially like Giancarlo Stanton power, which is obviously a joke, but it just goes to the fact it proves that this whole thing is a circus and even scouts aren't taking it seriously. The dude was taking, uh, was catching fly balls with two hands. He looked like a guy who hadn't played baseball in 12 years, which is the case. Um, and you got to cover up. You got to cover up that ball. It's a good habit. And then ESPN 
is just classic ESPN. They have this graphic that says contact percentage this season. Hanley Ramirez, 75.8%. Ezdrubal Cabrera, 75.8%. Rajay Davis, 75.6%. And then a little thing at the bottom, Tim Tebow, 75.7%. Parentheses, 58 pitches in batting practice. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. That is ESPN taking things and just making a complete mountain out of a molehill. I'll go down to the batting cages right now, pop that thing at 80 miles an hour. I'll make contact 75% of the time. That doesn't mean I can make a major league roster. It's it's a ridiculous circus, and it's all just. It, I think ESPN might have actually put this together. He's getting paid from yes by ESPN to do this. Oh yeah, you think it's a conspiracy? It could be. I mean, that would be. Yeah. It would make all the sense in the world. You, I love conspiracies, so I'm. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be ESPN signings with Tim Tebow. Do you think the baseball that player. he will get signed by anybody? Uh, probably, yeah. For the marketing aspect. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think a minor league team would would be happy to have him. Next season, if they, didn't a minor league team sign Manute Bull and, <laughs> and put him on, on the mound? I, I swear to God, he was part of a Manute Bull and like Sean Bradley, the seven footers came out and they were on a minor league team as, a, as like a gimmick day. So, I yeah, mean, minor league teams have no shame when it comes to gimmicks. No, have you, you know, the Scranton Wilkesbury wore American flag uniforms and the whole uniform was American flag, and that's a triple A team. I mean, there's been minor league teams who have wet t shirt contests on the mound. I mean, Tim Tebow wouldn't approve of that, that's not in his Christian way. But he's certainly a, a gimmick, and I could see him on a team next season. What team, what franchise in Major League Baseball would you say is going to sign him if you had to pick one? It's someone who's got an affiliate in Florida. I think that's, that's the gold right there because you, you will sell out every single thing, and you will have a circus if you go down to Florida. He's a god in Florida. True. You, you go down to that country where he, where he played college, and, and that everybody's obsessed with him, all the Florida Gators at least. But, yeah, it's so I, I would – I don't know who, but someone who has an affiliate, very low single A affiliate. I was thinking some maybe a team in the Bible Belt, but yeah, I mean that that would work too. I mean, Florida, I could see somewhere on the Panhandle maybe. All right, you ready to get into some mailbags? Let's do it. All right, this first one comes from Eric. He says, "Hey guys, I recently read an article that the Yankees should maybe trade Didi this off season." Uh, looking at their depth in the minors. This article said that he is playing at his peak right now, so trading him this season would get the best return. I love how Didi is playing right now, especially as I am a Dutch guy, but I can see how this would make sense. What do you think about this? Thank you, Eric, for the mailbag. So, what do you think about trading Didi in the offseason? Don't do it. Don't do it. You, I understand people are seeing all these you know, middle infielders in the minor leagues, but that's exactly where they are. A lot of them are... are you know, the, the two guys that everybody puts their, their finger on are in single A ball right now. They're playing in Tampa with Torres and Mateo, the two guys that probably have the most upside. Didi is a proven major leaguer. He keeps getting better. He's on, He's good on. He's good off the field. He's a, a clubhouse guy. He seems to be a leader in that dugout. He's a, a wizard defensively. He's got a cannon. He's hitting 280 on the season with power. You don't you don't trade a guy who comes into New York after Derek Jeter into that light and excels and beyond anybody's expectations, he's doing much better. So no, I think Didi is going to be in pinstripes for a very long time, and I think this is a guy that we're seeing just really get into his groove and start playing better. So uh, I I don't think it will happen. I don't want it to happen, and um, yeah, don't do you, the, the kids are low. Do you think WAR is a good stat? To measure I, how good a baseball player is? Okay. F- I mean, 
I am an old baseball guy when it comes to stats. Right, you're old I, school. Yeah, I look at base. I still think batting average has its place in baseball because I think it's overlooked. I, I know sure. all the the, sta- the, the, the money ball thing really look at it. buried batting average, but I think it's coming back a little bit more as we're moving as pitching is starting to dominate more. Strikeout is the strikeout is dominating. So if you can put the ball the bat on the ball, that's that's a good thing. But right. but what I was going to say is as far as war for all shortstops in Major League Baseball over the last two seasons, DD ranks seventh. That means he's the seventh best shortstop. In Major League Baseball. And I would argue he might even be a little higher than that if you just look at from the all-star break of last year until this year. I'd say he might even be sixth or maybe even fifth. They are not trading a top ten shortstop in Major League Baseball. He's 27 years old. Even if he just continues to play at this level, if he is at his peak, he is in his prime years. He can keep up this peak for the next three to four years. You ride that. I'll gladly take the seventh best shortstop in Major League Baseball over the next four seasons. And you look at what he's done as far as adjustments over the past two years. I mean, this was a guy coming up when he first came out of the gate. He could not hit left-handed pitching. I mean, it was it was really bad to to watch him against a left-handed pitcher. And now, I think out of the last time we looked at this, we were talking about it, he had I think one of the highest batting averages against left-handed pitching for for starting shortstops. I mean, or, or for left-handed for left-handed batters, I think it was. I think it was it was that high. But he's he's a guy who has made adjustments and has gotten better on the major league level than he's ever been. I mean, this is the first time he's getting you know, full-time experience on the major league level over the past two years, and he's taking advantage of it. This is this is a guy that, that we're going to, I think, see for a long time, and we should. I mean, this is a guy that is going to be a fan favorite for a while because he's he's the he's the total package. He really is. Let's also remember that he's, having, he's been having to bat in a place I don't think he's really suited for. Cleanup or five or six in the lineup is not really the best place for Didi. I know he's had 17 home runs, and, he, and he's one of their mm-hmm. best hitters this year. But him batting 7th or 8th in a good lineup, I think, is is much more valuable to a team than him batting cleanup. He's not a cleanup hitter. So he's kind of had to play out of his comfort zone, and he's still performing to his credit. I would like to see him either at the top of the lineup next year, because yeah. I think he's a better hitter than Jacoby Ellsbury or Brett Gardner at this point, or towards the bottom of the order where he can, he can excel a little bit more. Um, he's not a cleanup hitter. That's fine. They don't need him to be a cleanup hitter. They have another. They have enough guys in the system who I think project to be more middle of the order bats than Didi is. But if he's your number two hitter or or something like that, I think he he can be great for you. Yeah, and I think long term that's where he's going to be. I think he's going to be the number two hitter eventually, and I think starting next year he's going to be the number two hitter. And I think if he can exceed in that role, and you know theoretically, if you think about it, I mean he's going to get a lot of pitches uh, depending on who's who's uh, behind him, and if it's Gary Sanchez or you know whoever it is behind him, he's going to see pitches, and you know hopefully you know he can he can keep this up. But I mean you're getting a 280 batter with what 20 home runs, 15 to 20 home runs. He's got 17 right now, so yeah. he he's gonna have. Tw- I believe he'll have 20 home runs, a 20 home run shortstop. Right, and that's that's tremendous. That that, that is Derek Jeter's ca- career high shortstop was 24, and Didi is gonna have 20 this year. So the fact that this guy is hitting for power, hitting left-handed pitching as well, and playing you know a stellar shortstop, boom. Here's your two hitter for for the next five to six years. Now, if a team wants to get stupid, now oh, here we go. <laughs> you gotta always play the other side of it. You can get a lot for a shortstop that's hitting two eighty. Jose Fernandez. The Marlins want to get stupid for whatever reason and trade you Jose Fernandez. Uh, I'm just scared of the of the injuries. In all honesty, okay. I, I don't. I wouldn't do it. Okay. I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> what do we got next? Next one is from Neil. 
Neil says, one of my favorite Yankee traditions is calling up the gratuitous designated pinch runner for September. This year's winner, Eric, Eric Young Jr., my favorite of the group is Freddie Guzman, mostly because he owns a World Series, or he is a World Series champion. Rico Noel is a close second. Who is your favorite Yankees designated pinch runner? Mine's Jorge Posada. <laughs> That's the first thing. That's the first name that came to my mind when I think of pinch running. <laughs> right, these blazing speed, first to third, maybe even first to home speed, fresh legs in <laughs> in ninety five and ninety six. He was uh, used as a pinch runner, yes, when he was first called up in ninety five and ninety six. Not that he was like a, a Rico Noel or Eric Young, Young Junior guy, where it was like go out and steal second base, Jorge. But yeah, that was his first big league action was as a pinch runner. Uh, the one I always remember is from ninety eight, Homer Bush who had like seven stolen bases in the month of September. Yeah, I was actually going to say the same one. Homer Bush is the guy that I remember. I really wanted to see Mateo just up for the the Rico Noel spot this year. But, I mean, he's got to play more baseball. I guess he's going down to like a developmental league or whatever. So he's going to actually be playing ball instead of just coming in for pinch running. But I thought that would have been fun to watch. It would have. What did he have, like 75, 80 stolen bases in the minors this season? Yeah, I would like to, I would like to see his, his, uh, his success rate get a little better because if you look at it he was actually thrown out quite a bit too i mean if you run that many times you're gonna get thrown out but uh but he was definitely getting thrown out quite a bit yeah so hopefully- the pitcher the pitcher's moves are just gonna get better as you move up the the le- right the level the catcher's arms are gonna get, just get better as you move up so right you're absolutely right about that i mean single a ball stealing bases for a guy that of mateo's speed should be pretty easy and it, it, yeah. it has been pretty easy but but as far as the percent goes yeah, the percentage definitely got, got to climb because it is going to get harder. You got guys like El Kraken who just who can throw you out from his knees blindfolded. Yeah, I mean, to Neil's question about the the pinch runner thing, it's it's funny because for the Yankees in the '90s and the early 2000s, that was like the biggest thing in September was who are we going to have as our pinch runner because the team was so set always going to the playoffs. You weren't worried about getting kids work. You were worried about stupid things like pinch runners. Um, so this year we got a little bit more uh, important things on our hands as far as September call-ups go. Guys like Rob Refsnyder, who absolutely deserved a call back up. Uh, Kirby Yates, Jonathan Holder, and Luis Severino were among the call-ups. So. How did I get through an entire episode uh, of this show <laughs> without talking about my boy? Who who comes in and just you know sets up sets up some runs on Sunday? Yeah, goes doesn't in play doesn't play in the major leagues for a month a month nope. at this point. Bats they put him, him in, they put him in left field. Yeah, put him in left field. Bat him second, and he gets on base three times. Hey, that's that's a ball player right there. I really hope that he, he they they keep him on this team for the future and into next year because you know just seeing the versatility and the fact that he can play all these positions and go in and and. He's a batting average guy. To me, this team needs some batting average guys because they need that those tough at-bats. And moving forward, he's going to get that, and he's going to give a lot of people a lot of flexibility in the field. So, Has Austin, so. do you know off the top of your head, has Tyler Austin played the outfield at the majors so far? I can't think of a time. He's only, I don't, only been at I, first base, right? Yeah, I don't think he, maybe in right field at one point. I, I don't remember if he was or not. But. Because we talked about this a few weeks ago, that Austin and Ref Snyder are kind of going to be uh, rivals as far as making the team in spring training. Yeah, well, I think next year they're going to put Tyler Austin. He's going to be a first baseman because I think he and he's going to be he's gonna backing need, up Bird if he. But unless if, Bird, wins. if Bird plays how we think he can play, he's your everyday first baseman. Right. Yes. So the fact that they're, you're talking about trying to get at bats for Austin and putting him in in the outfield at some point, but I, I get it. The 
And he he's played third occasionally as well. If I were Rob Ref Snyder, I would spend every day in the offseason taking ground balls at third base. Right. Literally every day. Nine to five. Eight hours of ground balls at third base. <laughs> because if he can play an average third base, he's got a spot on this team next year. No problem. Yeah, you're right. So, well, it's a matter of if he'll get the opportunity, even if he can do it. It's a matter of if he'll get the opportunity. If if the the Yankee brass and Joe Girardi give him that opportunity to actually do well, it, he should he should periscope himself doing it entire off season, and then that way Cashman will get a little hint that oh this guy's working at third base, we might as well try him out in spring training. You know I'm all about it. You know I'm in for that. That's that's what we need to do. I mean get this guy on the team. I don't care where he is. All right, one final thing of note as we move into fall, that means it's football season. Last offseason, we talked football for probably 20 minutes in every episode. We usually did it at the beginning of the episode. We got some complaints from our listeners because this is a Yankees and a baseball podcast, and I get that. Hey, we listen, we, we hear you, listeners. We're going to adapt. Instead of doing football at the beginning of the episodes, uh, we're going to do it at the end, 10 minutes probably max as we move into the offseason just because Scott and I are huge fans. And, and it's also fun for you guys to listen because this is where we, we become enemies. I don't know. We, I'm, I'm sure we have a lot of new listeners as this baseball season has materialized. They probably don't know that we are enemies on the football field. No, they don't. They don't get it because it doesn't make sense for, for someone to root for the Yankees and another a Boston team. It makes zero sense in the world. It just doesn't. It's like, it actually makes why does that... perfect sense in the world because the Yankees and the Patriots are the two greatest franchises of all time. Oh, you're making my skin crawl just saying that. You disgusting. root for the trash bag Jets. I am a Jets fan. I mean, I, I can't help that. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about that at this point in my life. That is it was a decision. Air. It was a decision that was made early on, and that's, that's in hindsight, it probably wasn't your greatest decision. Probably not. But the yeah. So in the off season, we actually we do record uh, usually after games, and then do we, we usually do Tuesday Tuesday episodes in the off season yeah. to get the football season um right. so we shift to tuesdays going into the off season and talk a little bit i mean it's really impossible for us not to say it just because as a jets fan i get i, I get so mad and angry on sundays and sometimes mondays if i if i'm really if i'm really lucky yeah, also a and couple thursdays some thursdays i get angry and so so th- i mean like I'm an emotional guy. I have to, it's gotta, it's gotta come out. And when, when I have, uh, you know, the enemy across the microphone, I, I, I can't, I can't not talk about it. Sometimes I don't want to talk about it. But. As last year, I feel like with the Yankees, we mainly talked about transactions and there was a few huge ones where all this Chapman, Starling Castro and stuff. So we had some good content in the off season. Hopefully this year, you know, we're growing as a website and as a podcast, hopefully, hopefully we can get a little bit more, for the listeners as far as content goes in the offseason. And hopefully that, that means some interviews. Yeah. Um, that is our goal. So we're we definitely, definitely going to have more guys on. We're definitely going to continue to talk Yankees baseball. Uh, maybe the hour, maybe the episodes won't be an hour and 20 minutes long, even if they're a half hour long. I think it's certainly um, good to listen to in the offseason. People are baseball starved in the middle of January and stuff like that. So, But yeah. this is my favorite time of year, September, October. Baseball playoffs heating up, playoff races, and then the football season is starting. So it, it's a fun time of year for, for me as a sports fan. Well, yeah, I think for everybody, I mean, this especially if your baseball team is still in the mix, this is this is the greatest time of the year because you got everything. The weather's starting to, to turn. Like I'm thinking about making my chili. It's getting on. It's, it's very, very close. 
and and the fact that everybody in football is uh, has a chance at this point, even Jets fans, we all have a chance right now. And the Yankees are three and a half games out with the kids playing. I mean, come on, baby, this is this is a great time. All right, good stuff, guys. Follow the show on Twitter at Yankees Podcast. Follow me at Yankees underscore Talk. Scott is at Scott Reinen, and the website is at Bronx Pinstripes. And then if you want to submit a mailbag, you can just tweet us or you can call the voicemail line. Scott, what's that number? Because I can't. Yeah, I was going to say the there's zero way you're getting right this one. 646-480-0342. We have not and, done voicemails in a long time. We haven't gotten any, but we haven't well, even mentioned we haven't really it in a long time. talked about it. Yeah. So call in and you know, call in, leave a voicemail, make it 15, 20, 30 seconds. Don't do any more than that because it then we have to edit and it's annoying and I have to edit. Really, and it's more annoying, but it's a lot. It's fun to get like a 30-second punch in. Just, just whatever you got. Just like, either it's fun, it's it's a frustration, or whatever. 30 seconds. The voicemail is always on. It will record. I will most likely not pick up the phone usually. So, so leave one and get on the show. All right, good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.